from um, a book here. It's called Mystical Union um, by John Crowder. And it says this. It says, God is in a good mood. It is imperative that your relationship with God is based on reality. That reality is that all God absorbed all anger and wrath towards sin into himself on the cross. God absorbed all anger and wrath towards sin into himself on the cross. He destroyed every speck of sin, every ounce of judgment and enmity. The father was pleased to bruise the son, not because he had bloodlust, but because he was reconciling the nations to himself. This is Isaiah 53.10. Of course, we give lip service to this truth, but when things are going tough for you in life, do you really trust in this message? Or do you begin to think God must be punishing you because of your poor performance? God is never looking at your performance as the indicator of his pleasure towards you. So many people live on an emotional roller coaster ride. They think God is happy with them one day, then disappointed with them another day. It depends on whatever the subjective rubber ruler they judge themselves by at the moment. Perhaps you didn't read your Bible enough this week or lead enough people to Jesus. Oops, you were a little too lazy this week. People tend to judge themselves by all manner of silly criteria like this, then project those feelings onto God. If they are having a bad day, they assume God is upset with them. All of this is irrelevant. God is continually looking at one thing, and that is the perfect sacrifice of his son. Even if you have committed a gross sin, it is acknowledging Christ's mercy towards you that picks you up and moves you forward, not beating yourself up and trying to change yourself. How do I drink the joy of union? You must have a foundation that can handle the immensely incredible weight of joy God has for you. Do you want a joy that is not based on your circumstances? A joy that is not based on your performance? A joy that is not based on the doctor's report or the bank statement or whether or not your coworkers like you? There is a joy that is absolutely immune to outward influences. People email us all the time, and the number one question our ministry ever receives is this, John, how can I experience the drunken joy of Jesus all the time? People crave a continual, sustainable joy and fulfillment. They are made for it. But unfortunately, so many people think there is something they must do to get it. Because the church is used to selling formulas, they think there must surely be some key they're missing or process they must undergo. They think they, they must fast or pray a certain way to taste the joy we are experiencing. Also, since it is so common to make idols of ministers and put them on pedestals, some people just assume we are somehow specifically, specially chosen or uniquely anointed for this gift of joy, yet it will never be accessible to them. Both of, those, of these lines of thought are incorrect. You can't do anything for joy, nor does it belong to the mystical elite. Only God can give you joy in himself, and that is the whole revelation of the cross, the not-so-secret source of joy. Here is the secret source of my joy. I simply realized that I have been crucified with Christ. 
nothing strange or elusive about it whatsoever. Everything that separated me from God, Mr. Pleasure, was abolished once and for all. No matter what I'm feeling at the moment about, about myself or my circumstances, this single truth trumps it all. When I wake up every day, I just know that my old depressed self went into the grave with Jesus. It is difficult for a dead man to be worried about his bank statement or a bad doctor's report. No circumstance can dictate my emotional state. The gospel tells me that my old, critically religious self no longer exists. If I'm feeling bored with my Christian walk, the message of the gospel quickly snaps me out of that lie. My old boring self is dead. The new me is intoxicated on the wine of the new covenant. I can reckon myself dead with Christ, simply realizing that I do not own those negative feelings any longer. Simply stated, we drink by faith. The way you drink the wine of the new covenant is just to believe it is flowing freely to you right now. Isn't that nice? So this is, this is from Mystical Union. And um, it's just a little snippet, you know, but I think it's so important for us to look at this, this um, reality of um, the fact that what we have, we've been given. The joy of the Lord is what we've been given. And if you look this up in, in other places within Scripture, you'll see that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross. It was for the joy, and there was a joy and a pleasure that, that the Father received from the Son. You know, and in Matthew three seventeen, where, where, where Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So you can see that the joy of the Father comes to the Son, the Son to the Father, to the Spirit, to us, and we're a part of this union of joy that exists in the heavenly realm. It's his joy in us. And you say, well, what about all the things on the earth? What about the wars? What about all the evil men and all the things? It is Christ's sacrifice, his, him being put on the cross. It's reconciling all of mankind back to God. It was God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So it is for the joy set before him. So we may not see everything right away. We may not see it all reconciled right now within time, but it is all reconciled. Make no, make no mistake. It has been done. And so now what we enter into is the joy. And, and even if you look you know, in other places, you know, when we come into this kingdom, we come into a kingdom of joy. Um, and, and look what it says in, in Jude one twenty four. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. This is where we are right now. We have already been brought in to Christ. So he brings us in how? With great joy. Um, and look at, look at these ones too. Um, and we've talked about joy already, the oil of joy. But I just think it's really interesting to look at the fact that people are looking, how do I get this joy and the, the truth of the matter is you already have it. And by faith, experiencing that joy and, and drinking in that joy because that joy has already been made for you. Um, you know, it says, um, like, in, in some, let me look up some other ones here because, you know, there's so much to be said about this. Um, in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, you love him even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him, now you trust him and you rejoice with the glorious inexpressible 
joy, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. The salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about his gracious salvation prepared for you. You know, so salvation and joy, these are combined. Um, you know, and I think it's amazing when when we're having these encounters in heaven and, you know, like, um, you know, encounters with angels or encounters with some of the, you know, men in white linen, those that are in the in the glory realm with Christ that have gone before us is just the sheer joy that is just exuding off of them. And why is that? Because all things have been reconciled to God in Christ. We, we now enter into the pleasure of God. You know, if, if even in his, the very first place mentioned in the scripture is, is, means pleasure. Eden means pleasure, the garden of pleasure. In my father's house are many mansions. In, in heaven, there is great pleasure that comes from the father. This is, he's bringing us up into, and even if you look at some of the, the ancient words that they talk about when people are in prayer and they're being caught up in the spirit is they use the word ecstasis or ecstasies ecstasies in the spirit why is that because true fulfillment and true ex- ecstasies and ecstasis comes in the presence of our father in the presence of god because this is our union with him we've never been separated from him the only separation that took place which is very clear in scripture was our in our own minds we were separated from god through our thinking we th- saw ourselves as unworthy. We saw ourselves as separated from him. And Christ reconciled us back to God. He put to death that entire thought life, that entire, and, and it's a spiritual aspect too. It's not a mental thing. When we say thoughts, we're talking about the actual um, expression of a fallen mindset, not, not just Oh, I'll get my thoughts right. That's okay. We're talking about an actual taking of self and being crucified with Christ. So it's, see, this is the thing I think sometimes because we have so much psychobabble that goes on in our world that people don't realize that, that spiritual experiences are actual actions. Like if I said I got up and went into my kitchen, you wouldn't think that that was a psychological statement. But if I said I got up and went into heaven, people would say, well, that's psychological. But why does it have to be psychological? You're a spiritual being. You see, so we've, we've got to, and, and it doesn't help that, th- that we've unfortunately mixed a lot of psychiatry into, into the teachings of, of our modern churches, but, but spiritual movement is real movement. Spiritual experiences are real experiences. And, and so when I say that, that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, it is Christ who lives in me. This is an actual encounter that I have with Christ himself in the spirit. It is not a mental, psychological state of mind. Psychological states of mind, as we've learned in the, in the previous thing that I just read, go up and down like a roller coaster because they have everything to do with physical representation of the thought portrayed on. But spiritual reality is not perceived through physical eyes. It's perceived by the eyes of the Spirit. So this is a really important thing. So as we're kind of emerging out of this slumber of, of, of sleep, of, of, a, of a, you know, it, it is a demonic sleep, uh, where the church is asleep in many regards to some of this spiritual activity, the Spirit of the Lord is showing us, hey, we didn't come into a psychological experience. We came into a mystical or a spiritual experience in Christ. You cannot convince 
a person mentally to come into Christ. That is an encounter we have with the living Savior who is alive forevermore, who rose from the dead, who's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's who we're having our experiences with. (laughs) We're not having an experience with an idea. (laughs) It's like, oh, I have an idea. Oh, here's another idea. And this is the reason why, you know, people argue over words because the words have no substance to them because there's no substance to the words because they're not based on reality. And I love, you know, how, and I, and I really do, you know, I really do appreciate, you know, how, how uh, John Crowder talked about this. He goes, the very first line, it is imperative that your relationship with God is based on reality. (laughs) I mean, this is really important that it's based on reality. And, and if all we're doing is coming up with ideas about God and ideas about Jesus and ideas about ourselves, it's just a war of ideas. It's purely in the psychological realm. And you got to know the psychological realm is a soul realm. It is a soul of man connected with, you use your brain, you know, because our brain is a, is a, um, is a physical manifestation of our, of our soul. So our soul has to outwork some way, so it uses our brain to do it. If, if somebody loses their brain, they're still there. They just have no outworking of their soul because their brain disconnected uh, from any physical meaning. Now, when their heart stops and their blood stops pumping, then their, their body and their soul both leave. But there are people that have lost, you know, and some of the, soul, some of the um, mental uh, faculties have declined, but it doesn't mean their soul has declined. It just means that connection with the physical world has declined, which is why it's important you know, to have your mind <laughs> and to have your body because you need that full manifestation of the Spirit of God coming through you and the full manifestation of yourself. You know, you're you're a person. You should have a manifestation of yourself on the earth in the physical world. And when a body is um, degraded to the point where that can't happen, that's not the experience God had planned for you. That That is not godly. So that's something to be overcome, of course. But it is imperative that our relationship with God is based on reality and not just on someone's ideas. And again, we don't follow the gospel because the apostles had the best idea. The gospel is not the the message of the best idea that the apostles had. The gospel is the message of the reality of what God did through Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. That's the reality of what happened. So anything other than that is is not... um, it, it, it's not real. It's, it's just not real. It's not, it's not something, you know, and people create programs. They create all sorts of different things that are, um, men made things that people love. They eat it up, you know, but you know, they eat everything up because we're consumers. We consume things and we love them, but it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, the reality of where we are in Christ. So I, I think it's just kind of a process that we're, that we're running through and that we're learning as we're growing and maturing we realize that what? The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Well, you know, our, your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. You know, so th- this is the part of us that needs to be brought under the, the dominion of the spirit. This is a very important aspect because I think a lot of what we do, we do out of our soul. And the word of God, who is Christ, is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. So we do a lot of what's called religious activity, but it's not something we're doing out of our spirit. So we can do everything from the spirit. We don't ever have to do something out of the natural world. You know, even, even our own jobs, we can work. You know, I was talking about this and I always will talk about it because it's a reality that I have come into that I could never leave. And that's, that's this, this, um, Eden time that we live in. What is that? 
rich time. So we ask the Father for rich time. But what happens is now we're starting to do things in time frames that just wouldn't make sense. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. How come this is working like this? Why is it that there's, like sometimes I hear uh, messages from, from preachers who preach out of rich time. And I listen to their message and I'm like, how did they fit that much into 20 minutes? <laughs> there's so much in here. It is so rich. You know, and so when we start to operate in rich time, we realize we are not dictated to by times or seasons. Now, the sons of Issachar, as it says, know the times and seasons. We can know them, but we don't live under the sun. We're, we've been, we're seated with Christ in the spirit. Now, our physical body may be here under the sun, but if you put your physical body and your soul under your spirit, now that now your order is proper order. Now you have spirit as the as the and so when I say spirit too, when I say, okay, you put your soul and your body under your spirit, you know the other aspects of this is, is this. You're putting it under subjection to Christ. Because you're not, you're not seated in heavenly places in yourself. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ. So when I say I'm putting my soul and my spirit under Christ, and my spirit, <laughs> my soul and my body, well, I'm putting my spirit under Christ too, right? And, and in putting my spirit under the dominion of Christ, now my soul and my body come under the dominion of my spirit. So again, we're not we're not saying something that you don't already know if you've heard, you know, any type of Bible teaching before, but we're saying it in this way on purpose because we understand that we're a tripartite being. And we understand this, the soul may not understand the things of the spirit nor can it understand the things of the spirit, but it can be shepherded. It can be shepherded. The sheep may not understand what the shepherd's doing, but the sheep can listen. And when the sheep listen, things work really well because they don't go running off into a thorn bush somewhere or get attacked by a wolf somewhere because the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. Who is the shepherd? The shepherd is Jesus. So when the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice and follow, so this is what you do in your own temple, okay? So we're not talking about church hierarchy anymore, okay? We're talking about temple uh, management, okay? Temple management is if my soul starts getting caught up in, oh, I got to go do this and I got to do that and what about this thing and what about that? And, and honestly, there are seasons, the Lord showed me like um, at the beginning of this year, the busyness of the entire world and how busy everybody was and how, how much we want to work real hard and all these things. And you know, our, you know, again, our government does some of that. They got taxes now. They got this, they got that. Everybody's got to get their stuff in order. You know, we got the news telling us the man's coming down on you again, even harder. Just wait until you get this next one. All of these things, you know, and that's, that's for us, uh, uh, you know, older adult, you know, mindsets, but then for the kids, you know, back to school, got to get those lessons done. Oh, we got the tests again. We got this and that. And it's the world system just moving and pressuring down that soul so that it is just stuck. And so now you're operating in the soul realm and you have no free movement anymore. And you've kind of just, you, you've put your soul above your spirit or your soul in person in your spirit. So what do we do? We just say, by faith, <laughs> by faith, I put my soul under my spirit. Okay. And now what happens to my soul? Well, first of all, your spirit is at rest. Why is your spirit at rest? Because it's seated. And where is it seated? It's seated in the seat of rest, right? Which is, which is not just a seat that you're just sitting like lounging and watching TV. It's a governing seat. It's like a throne, okay? So the seat of rest is a throne seat, okay? So when you're sitting, so whenever I teach this, and I, you know, there's so many aspects to this, but whenever I'm teaching the seat of rest, I'm, you're, you're actually sitting in a throne. And now that throne arcs with you, 
okay, because it's an ark, and and it's in Christ. So you're not just governing from from the kingdom of heaven. And again, we're talking about the same concepts, but in a visual representation. Okay, so you say, well, I thought I'm in Christ. Now we're talking about thrones and this and that. Okay, so here's a visual. This is a visual representation that we have seen in the heavenly places. And we do know that, that Jesus is seated on a throne. And we also know that there are thrones. So a throne, you got to understand a throne is, is an, an, an operational, um, uh, it's a visual representation of authority. Okay, so I can say I have authority and then my mind just starts going off into different ideas of what that means, authority. But if I say I'm seated on a throne and I govern, well, now you have a visual representation of the kind of things that you do in your own life. You're not, you're not, you're not on a throne over other people. You're on a throne over your, own, over your own life and what you're doing. Remember, it's a kingdom of love. So now you govern out of love. So you, 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 you look at your kingdom, which is your life, or again, we use temple. You know, these are all interchangeable concepts, okay? You sit on your throne, which is in that seat of rest. Why is it a, a throne of rest? It's because the work has already been accomplished through Christ. So now we rest in his finished work by faith, by faith. <laughs> but I, I don't see it working in everything. It's by faith, okay? You sit in that seat of rest, okay? You bring your soul under, right? And then you look out. So see yourself seated high above it. You're, you're not like sitting in a... And then you can look out and you can see all of these areas that God has put under your um, dominion so that you can manage it for him. So you can be the, the uh, caretaker of these wonderful and beautiful things that God has given you because he shares, he loves doing things together. So now as a, car a caretaker, a partaker of the divine nature, we can look out onto all these things and by faith begin to administrate the love of God into every single area and begin to visualize that in your mind. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a relationship or relationships. Maybe it's things in your life that you've been afraid of. Begin to administrate the kingdom of heaven into those areas by faith sitting from that seat of rest, which is a throne. And when you arc with that, you know, because you're arcing with the throne, what I mean by that, you almost see it like a like a electrical connector. You know, that throne carries that authority. So now you carry that authority by sitting in that throne. So see yourself in that place in the heavenly realms. Okay? And so now what else are we administrating? The joy of Yahweh. Because the joy of Yahweh is our strength. We can sit in that place of rest. So again, soul, you're good, you're good at being busy. You're good. And it'll wrap you up like a 90-day clock. You'll have so much... You, listen, when you're done overcoming the anxiety you just had, your soul's got several of them waiting in line. They're waiting in line. They're like, look, I know you finally got over that worry, but guess what? I had 17 other things for you to worry about that I just didn't have a chance to tell you about because you were still working on the one thing you were worried about. Oh, great. Thanks, Saul. You're, you're really good. You know, and sometimes, so, so what do we need? A psychological breakthrough? No, we need to engage with the spirit. Engage by faith, the freedom that comes from being set free from anxiety, to be set free from, from any type of oppressive thought that keeps you bound by fear or oppression. We can engage with the Lord and just say, your strength is my strength. Your life is my life. 
I have overcome by the word of God. I have overcome by the blood of the lamb. And I no longer have to subject myself to fear, to anxiety, to worry in any way because he whom the son has set free is free indeed. And begin to engage with the Lord in that realm and leave behind all of the false ideas. Because remember what we said at the beginning. It is very important. It is imperative that your relationship with God is based on reality. It's not just an idea. Because people are like, well, I'll argue that idea. God sometimes does bad things and sometimes does good things. And if you read this, it looks like he did that. And if you read that, it's, th- it's just your idea. It's just your concept. Well, my concept of scripture is better than your concept. Do you understand we're talking about something real here? This is, there's actually a, the real Jesus. There's, there's, re- there's a real heavenly realm. Okay, all of this is real, but the way you're treating it, you're treating it like it's not real because you're arguing with people about your idea over it versus their idea over it, which means in your soul, which your soul cannot comprehend spiritual things, your soul thinks it's imaginary. (laughs) And that's the truth. And this is the reason why we've been set free. And this is the reason why in In James, or I'm sorry, in Peter, it says the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls because your soul needs some help. It can only interact with God in an imaginary way, whereas in the spirit, we have the reality. So we need to shepherd the soul and say, look, you don't get it. I'm praying in tongues right now and you do not understand what I'm saying, do you? You think it's made up, but it's not. It's coming purely out of my spirit. You think that maybe I imagined that, that encounter with that angel who was speaking to me words that I definitely did not know. <laughs> but it was the reality of being in the spirit. Bring the soul under the subjection to the spirit. And we do that by faith because the reward for trusting who? Trusting in him. Who knows how you're made? The one who made you. And you have been made in multiple areas, multiple ways. In, in, um, and you can see this. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, even look at the beginning in Genesis, and you can see that there's a clear distinction between the way God made man as a speaking spirit and the way he made the other created beings. You know? And I know that the world system has tried to downgrade and degrade human beings, and they do this through false teachings. And the false teachings are the, are the doctrines of devils. And these doctrines of devils teach that man is an animal. And guess what happens when you say man is an animal to a man? He acts like an animal. (laughs) So the gospel is here to tell us the good news. What's that? You are not an animal, number one. You are created in the image and likeness of God, and he calls you one of his family. And that he proved it by sending his son. Now, his son is the word. He sent his word, Yeshua, and he came as you to show you who you are. He's not an ascended being. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. There's a very big difference between those two statements. He didn't ascend. The Bible actually said he humbled himself and he became obedient to death. He, unlike any other false God, he became a partaker of our suffering. He took our suffering as it was his suffering. 
He felt everything that we felt in the worst places we've ever been. He took it on fully. He left nothing back. He didn't just have a passing glance. He took our suffering, our sin, our shame. He took it all. You know, God has never wanted to shame us ever. Even in the garden, when it says God covered Adam and Eve with um, skin, it's actually light clothing, clothing of light. And he did that so that man wouldn't feel ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of man. Man was ashamed of himself. God came to reconcile us away from this shameful mindset, this, this idea that there's things that I have to do to get better, to get closer to God. And he said, look, I don't see any of those things. And again, I always go back to the prodigal son. The prodigal son didn't have to do anything. He literally did everything wrong. There was nothing he could have done that was right. He did it all wrong, everything. There was no reconciliation in his own effort at all. And the father ignored any attempt that the son made to reconcile himself in any way by his works. He completely didn't even acknowledge he said it. Why is that? Because it has nothing to do with your relationship with the father. Your works do not bring you into the family. You have to be born from the family. You have to be born into it. And Jesus told that to Nicodemus. You can't work your way up into God. Do I need to be born again out of my mother's womb? No, he's telling you you have to be born from above. You couldn't get to heaven unless you were born there. And he said, in my father's house are many mansions. Mansions are buildings. They're temples. They're beings. <laughs> and they're also places. Because remember, we're, we're talking about a dimensional thing. You know, so there are different representations of this as you, as you encounter these places in heaven. Okay, so the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this grace of salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about them, uh, talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. So the suffering of Christ is a major part of our reconciliation to God. It wasn't God um, hurting Jesus. It was us. It was sin. It was the it was the fallen world that did that to him. And why did he do it? They did it in order to be reconciled to God. He took the punishment, the pain, all of the things that we um, could go through, and he brought us into full rec reconciliation to God. Now look at this. It says the prophets looked into this. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached. Now this is 1 Peter 1.12. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Even the angels. That's special. That's special. How, like I, I say, how does Peter know that angels look into these things? Well, because he's obviously been shown this. Oh, Peter saw an angel. Well, Peter probably saw a lot of angels if he said they're eagerly watching these things happen. Again, this isn't an imaginary thing. This is something that's reality. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Okay, so, so look at that. I mean, it's amazing. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. So this is what's happening. So 
All things are being brought into subjection to Christ, be it in heaven or on earth. All things are being brought subject to him. He is reconciling all things back to himself, back to the Father. And how is he doing it? He's doing it through the cross. This is a done deal. It's already been done. (laughs) So remember, the prophets look forward to it, but we're in it, right? How are all these things going to be done, they say? They wondered what time. When is the time going to be? This is a very big deal. When is the Christ returning? When is he coming? Well, guess what? We know when. It happened 2,000 years ago. So now what we're doing is we're living out of that. We're living. Be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. The scripture says, be holy because I am holy. This is, this is Peter saying this. The prophets wanted to know more about it when they prophesied about it. So this is like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you know, Daniel. You know, we know the the the, um, the weeks. You know, the forty nine weeks. We know about that. You know, he he pinpointed the time, the day. Everything was pinpointed by the prophets. You know, and it got. And the neat thing is, is as you get closer and closer, it gets more and more and more specific. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking. The they is the prophets. But then you can see in verse 12 that it wasn't just the prophets. It was also the angels. I mean, think about the, the, the announcement of, of the incarnation. Who was involved in that right away? Angels were. This is really, again, there are, there's, good, there's news, okay? And, and then there's news. <laughs> okay? So think about it like that. There's news and then there's news. So... So we, we have a lot of news, you know, uh, you know, we have local news, we have state news, we have national news, we have, you know, world news, you know, we have local family news, we have, uh, you know, we have news. So that's news, right? And then there's news, okay? So there's a higher realm news, and that news is really good. And so when, they, when the prophets get information, they get the news, but they get, you know, even, uh, I think it was John Paul Jackson, John Paul Jackson, he, he used to get visions of newspaper headlines of the future. And so he'd write them down. He's like, and he would, and then he would ask the Lord, what is the, what does the headline mean? You know? So God would give him headlines of the news. So you have the news, then you have the news, right? So you have another, another realm of where news is happening. So, so sometimes if you've been just acquainted with the first news, which is your local state and national news or world news, you know, I'm very informed, you say, you don't really get the picture. Because that news is subjected to a fallen system. And that fallen system never gets it right. <laughs> it just doesn't get it right ever uh, because it's broken. But then we get the news from the heavenly realm. And so that news gets announced. Angels are interested in that news. Your, your family that's in glory right now, they like that news. That's the news that they're hearing. They're hearing that news. When we say, oh, well, what about the stock market? That's not actually news they're very much interested in. They don't really care about the stock market. Why is that? Because it doesn't have anything, it doesn't have any worth. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, you don't take the stock market with you into heaven. That's, that, that's no worth there. But they are looking into the, the engagement we have with the Spirit of God in the relationship to uh, the expression of God's love coming through us into the earth in the fulfillment of the desire of God in our life being expressed. Okay, I'll say it again. 
the desire of God's heart in our lives being expressed in the world, manifested. Again, Jesus is the incarnation, Yeshua, incarnate, God in flesh. This is the heart of the Father, the ultimate desire of God being expressed in a physical form. Well, guess what? God has other dreams. He has other thoughts. And those thoughts pertain to specific things within your own life. And you may have had these encounters in your life where you, you meet a person or you go to a place and you say, something is very important about this. I don't know what it is, but it's very important. I always make note of those things because it, to me, it means it's written down on my scroll. It was important. This is something that God has set for me in, you know, like, you know, certain things are like this. <laughs> Say, well, maybe I missed one. Don't worry about it, okay? You'll have other chances. Don't worry about it. There may have been ones you missed. You may have been ones you haven't. But God's heart and his desire are expressed through us. And you will know those when you see them if you're paying attention to the news, the high-end the high news. You'll be like, something is happening here. Something important is happening here. This is, this is not just a normal event. There's something higher happening here. Okay, and again, you know, even our engagement with the Spirit of God and our engagement in the studying of the of of the Word of God, there is a higher news that's associated with that. Which is why a lot of times when we're when we are sharing the Word of God, we do have um, we may see from time to time those coming to join us. You know, in our engagement in the things of God, because those are the most important. I mean, sure, would they like to watch a movie with you? Probably not. You know, it's okay. They're there with you. But you know what they have? They said, like, I love you. You know, I love you. That's really important to them. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's so hard for me to say this. I see it as clear as day, but it's hard to say it. So they're all here. They love us so much. You know, we like to see a movie, go on a trip or whatever. We're like, great. And they're like, just like, I love you. You know, that's what they're saying. It's, oh, it's so hard to say sometimes. But listen, let the Lord show you because it's more important to see um, than even to have someone tell you. You know, taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good. So taste of this, this thing that I'm saying, that I'm having not the proper words to say for it. But yeah, so they're around us, you know, and they love us so much. And so you have higher and lower. You have the, the, the soul's attempt to try to earn their self up into God. None of that is important at all. It's not reality. You know, that's the bottom line. It's not real. <laughs> it's just your idea. <laughs> and this is like I was I was watching. I, I'll give you a Star Wars reference. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading um, about uh, the new Star Wars sequels. Right. So Daisy Ridley plays Ray in Star Wars. And so um, I think it was J.J. Abrams, who's the director of Star Wars, comes up to uh, her and says now before she ever started, she said, now, listen, this is a role unlike any other role you will play because the people who follow Star Wars treat it like a religion. <laughs> and she was right. She said it, it, and it physically took a toll on her because they're so caught up in this world as if it's a real world and they treat it like a religion. But it just shows you to the degree that our soul can really latch onto things and impersonate spiritual things. It's an imp they're impersonating for sure. Well, because he, he had probably talked to the guys that run Star Wars and know that, you know, this is because they do, you know, they, they really like even in the in the in the prequels, you know, they were the one guy that played um, Jar Jar Binks. You know, they they ridiculed him so much. 
you know, he, he really had serious psychological impact. The, the kid that played uh, Anakin in the very first movie, the episode one, you know, he was really, really bullied. Um, you know, so, so some of this is, is that, you know, but again, the whole point of it is not to do Star Wars history, but it's to tell you that the soul can latch onto things and create a religion out of something as silly as a movie, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a religious fervor, you know, no, this is, this is the way we believe it. You can't say it another way. This is, this is the, the codex. The codex says that you have to do this and then this happens and you've introduced something that completely breaks the narrative, right? It's an, it's an idea, it's just an idea. It's not reality. You, we're very creative beings. God made us creative, but we weren't supposed to be creating reality. We were supposed to be living in it. So you say, well, kind of wake up and face reality, Jamie, and get your, get your head out of the clouds. Great. Get your head out of the clouds and start to engage in the spirit, which is the reality. The reality is the realm of the spirit. If God speaks to you a thing, you do that thing. If he doesn't say anything about it, nothing has been said. There's nothing for you to say. Don't make something up. There's nothing to say. There's a reason there's nothing to say yet. If you're looking for a word from God, well, seek the Lord. He'll give you a word. You already have a word, honestly. <laughs> Who was that? I was listening to the other day. It's like, you have all, it was Nancy Cohen. You have all the prophecy you're ever going to get. You have so much prophecy in you. It is phenomenal. Let it loose. Let it be released. Right? That prophecy is already in you. That word is already in you. The word is Christ. Okay, so again, just some different ideas here, you know, but I, I really like, you know, how at the beginning, you know, we were talking about that God is in a good mood, you know, because people sometimes do that. And, and even if you don't acknowledge it, you're like, I probably didn't do everything right. And that's probably why that happened. <laughs> that's your soul. Ba, ba, ba. Soul, you're being silly. God is in a good mood. He's never looking at your performance as the indicator of his pleasure towards you. And I love that. And, and again, when I was reading earlier in Matthew, where, he's, where Jesus comes up out of the water and, and the father says, this is my son who brings me great joy. Well, his ministry hadn't even started yet. They, you know, they, Bible scholars say that's the beginning of his ministry when he came up out of the water. He hadn't even done anything, right? Not in the physical realm right he hadn't done anything yet he hadn't done any miracles it said his first miracle is when he turned water into wine they hadn't done a whole lot right and and the father's like this is my son he is awesome well what did he do nothing <laughs> not yet right but but again he is also the word you know so we know all things were created by him and for him so there is that aspect to it but i also feel like there's also this aspect to who is this guy i don't know but god really likes him well what did he do i have no idea it's just like you you're in the family your performance is not the indicator of his pleasure towards you. Because you know what ends up happening is if you think that that is the case, you will go up and down, up and down, up and down. Did I pray enough? Did I do meditating prayer or did I just do regular prayer? Did I pray in the spirit? Did I do that? Did I do this? Did I do that? So you take all of that stuff, which is all the souls, like this little, this little turmoilish storm and just kind of bring it down into rest. You cannot um, reconcile it. It has to be shepherded. So in a lot of things, like as you're growing in the Lord, you'll be able to just realize that most of this stuff can just be ignored. Just completely ignored. It has no substance. It can be ignored. It's like temptation. Just ignore it. Oh, I'm tempted. to Yep, it's ignored. Do exactly what Satan does. <laughs> he completely ignores the Lord. 
<laughs> and resists everything he says. So do that with his temptation. Ignore everything he says. Resist everything by just ignoring it. Because people will get tempted and then they'll let their mind get wrapped around the temptation. <gasps> Why was I tempted? There's so much temptation in the world. And now their soul's getting wrapped around it, which is exactly what it wants you to do. Reason with it. Contemplate it. Re you know, don't even just leave it. Leave it. It's not you. It has nothing to do with you. You can walk free from it. Why are you free from it? Not because of your effort, but because he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Walk in the freedom. Walk in the freedom. Don't walk in the, in the fallen mindset because you're, you're not fallen, number one. It's just the thought. It's a framework. The soul creates frameworks. That's what you have to remember. The, the thing the soul is creating has no substance to it. But if you allow this invisible barrier to be put around you, you will stay within it because you made yourself stay within it. So let the Lord tear down these frameworks that are not him, that are not reality. The spirit of the Lord will, will, will very nicely and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, holistically, completely dismantle the frameworks. There will be nothing left when the spirit is done with the framework you'll be like and then if you ever see someone who has that same framework or that same mindset you'd be like yep i know what that is i don't have that no more though it's gone <laughs> thank you <laughs> i did and i didn't even do it it was just the lord that did it within me so our encounters that we have with jesus does this yeah and it's our encounters with him it's not even a teaching we got we just it's kind of like Hi, how you doing? I'm Jesus. Nice to meet you. And then every other idea that you ever had about him just disappeared because you actually just met him. You didn't need, it wasn't an idea. It was just an encounter. So I encourage you to have encounters with Christ. Have encounters with him by faith. Visualize yourself with him. Visualize yourself in the garden of, the, of, of your heart, you know, or even in your temple. You know, I love that, you know, in the, in the um, Song of Songs, or actually I think it's in... Um, Maybe it's in uh, Psalms. You know, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. See? You know? So what? who's being silent? The whole earth is being silent. The Lord is in his holy temple. Who's his holy temple? You are. Your physical body is his holy temple. And the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. You see? This is dominion. This is authority that you have in this realm. So now your soul is just going, whoo, I'm being quiet. Why is that? The Lord is in his holy temple. You've acknowledged the preeminence of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You've acknowledged the Trinity. You've acknowledged Christ within you. And now every other part of your being comes down. Boom, 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 boom. Because here comes the Lord. He's walking around. He's full of joy. He's smiling and laughing. <laughs> because it's done. And now we come into the, the bliss you know, remember we say, be blessed, be, ba be blessed, brother. Be blessed, sister. Be blessed. Well, guess where, what, guess where that comes from? Bliss. <laughs> the bliss. The bliss of, of knowing him. The bliss of being in him and he in us. Our oneness with him, never separated. Leaving behind old ideas about ourselves. Leaving behind... Um, the concept of having to engage with ideas rather than with him as a person. Hallelujah. So, all right. I think that's good. Any questions? <laughs> all 
All right. Well, let's do a, a short little kind of activation, and then we'll uh, and then we'll close it up. All right. So just let's just be still for a bit, like we were saying, and maybe you've already done that as we were saying it. But let's just stay in that stillness. Oh yeah, I need lunch. I need this. Nope. Shh. Quiet. You're so funny. I actually laugh at my soul a lot of times because it's very funny. But here I go, right down. So now we just kind of sink right down deep into our hearts where Christ is. We have oneness with him. You are holy. You are righteous. You are one spirit with him as you walk in your garden together. See what you see. Look with the eyes of your heart. May see Jesus or maybe in a garden somewhere, maybe on a mountain. So many places. You're really, really big. But allow the Spirit just to kind of by intention walk you through that garden of His love. Hallelujah. Sometimes, you know, you there's fire, there's water, there's wind. There's different things God has made to show us how things work. Sometimes you're in that fire first love. Hallelujah. Right in the middle. It never ceases. Remember, it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Hallelujah. So just keep engaging with the Lord in the spirit, being still, focusing on him, walking in that place with him. May not be in your garden. You may be somewhere else. <laughs> it's a great place, though. Allow the Lord to lead you and guide you in those things. He's maturing us as sons, maturing us into places of glory, giving us the knowledge of the joy that we've been brought into that we would just drink that joy, drink it like a drink. That's what he used it for. He said, use it like a drink. Just drink in the joy like the new wine. Just drink in of the Spirit. Hallelujah. It's good stuff. Good, 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 good. Amen. Amen. That is all for today. For the recording. Thank <laughs> you.